Welcome to the Happy, Healthy, Strong podcast. Our goal is to equip you with the knowledge and tools you need to make lasting changes in your health. Society has trained us to think that Western medicine is the answer to long-term health, but this approach only treats symptoms and never addresses the root cause. Without a new approach, our community will experience unnecessary sickness and suffering. We teach the functional health model to educate and empower listeners on their journey to a happier, healthier, and stronger life. My name is Paige, and I'm a certified holistic health coach. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Alex Arguello, doctor of chiropractic and functional health practitioner. Join us as we unpack some of the most pressing health challenges facing our community today. Welcome back to the Happy, Healthy, Strong podcast. Today we are continuing our series on adrenals. And so before we jump into the episode, I first want to just give a recap of what we've covered the last two episodes on adrenals. So first I will go through the list of symptoms that if you have a couple of these, you might want to consider um, that you have, you might have an adrenal problem. So our list is low energy, anxiety or depression, highly emotional or irritable, um, brain fog, low libido, sleep apnea, frequent sickness, weight gain, especially around the midsection, trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, lightheadedness when you stand up or dizziness in general. Um, high blood pressure, hair loss, especially in women, and you crave salt and sugar. So that is our list of symptoms. And then that's what we went over in our first episode on adrenals. And then our last episode on adrenals, Dr. Alex walked us through the three different phases that someone with HPA axis dysfunction goes through. And so the first one is where your body recognizes that you're in a stressful environment and so your cortisol goes up and it stays high and so that is accountable for some of those symptoms that I listed. Then your body moves into the second level where it realizes it has too much cortisol so it tries to lower it and it's adaptive because it goes high and low sometimes within the same day, which that causes some of those symptoms. And then it moves from there into just always being depleted and low. So you're always fatigued and you always have low cortisol. So that's kind of a recap of where we've been. If you need to catch up on any of those episodes, definitely go back and listen. But this episode is going to be the the saving grace of all mm-hmm. of that <laughs> because we're going to talk about what you can do about it and kind of the hope if you find yourself in these situations. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, just listening to you list off all those symptoms, it, it makes you feel for these people that are that are experiencing all totally. of this stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I was, I was talking to a, a client, um, this past week about, you know, just some, some significant things going on with them. And then they have some people just in the, in their, in a community, um, that have similar things going on and all of them are just kind of struggling with similar things. And it just, um, they're kind of trying to figure out, okay, how do we stay, how do we stay having hope, I guess, mm-hmm. cause they, they get these, even like a diagnosis or 
um, just kind of a label is, is how they see it. And now they kind of see themselves as a sick person. Um, and, and that's, I mean, I understand that thinking, uh, but that's still more in alignment with kind of the medical way of thinking, right? You have this diagnosis and, and now you have this diagnosis and now you, you have to manage this diagnosis for the rest of your life. Um, that's not really the functional health way of thinking. The functional health way of thinking is, yes, we have to identify what's going on with the body. What, you know, where is their dysfunction? But then we're going to try to get the body back to healing and functioning the way that it's supposed to with removing whatever interference we found, right? So the testing, the assessments, and all that stuff that we use to find these things are really just identifying what are the interferences that are happening right now so that you can start to remove those interferences so the body can start to heal the way and function the way that it's supposed to. Now, I wish I could say that that's an instant thing, right? That you just have to find those interference and, and you just you know, knock them out or, or pull, you know, one of the things like you're, you're playing Jenga or something. And, yeah. Um, that, that's not how it works, right? You, you start the process of healing and functioning properly, and then it's over time how that happens. So there is hope in it, but it's t- typically not in the timing that we want it to be in. Right. But yeah, that was kind of an aside there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you just laid it out. HPA axis dysfunction um, is the problem. Um, if we're going to address it, then is is obviously the first thing is to f- is to find out if it's there or not, um, and and really to to figure out if it's there. Not only if it's there, but also what level are we at? Right? Are we at the the first level, second level, third level? Again, are you more high cortisol? Are you more low low cortisol? Or are you kind of in the middle where you experience both of those things happening. And and that should make sense to you, right? If we're going to figure out how to actually do something about this, we wouldn't want to just have this kind of generic response to it because if somebody has HP axis dysfunction, but they're in the first level of it where they're high cortisol, then I wouldn't want to be helping them increase their cortisol levels because that would would make them worse. So that's Mm -hmm. the importance of actually not just knowing that they have HP axis dysfunction, but also which which particular phase or which particular level and are you they know at. that based on what symptoms they're having at the time yeah absolutely okay. so how we figure that out is very, very similar to what we talked about with the thyroid um is i have an assessment form which is b- basically just a symptom questionnaire right so it's going to have a list of symptoms that are low cortisol symptoms um and then a, a list of symptoms that are high cortisol symptoms and we're going to be able to see do you have more in the low cortisol do you have or only in the cor- low cortisol and or only in the high cortisol or again or do you have a mixture um so that we would know ha- really have an idea of what phase you're actually in but i don't like to do anything um until i've actually confirmed that that's the case so the other thing we do with the questionnaire is we do a specific test um to conf- again confirm that hps hpa axis dysfunction is actually there now, with testing, traditionally, uh, with hormone testing, there's three different ways that you can test it. There's testing it through the blood or, or serum testing. There's saliva testing. And then there's a, a urine test, typically a 24-hour urine test. Now, all of these have their benefits. They can be helpful, um, still used by some functional medicine doctors. And these would even be some of the tests that are used by medical doctors. But they all have uh, some of their limitations. Some of them are just a hassle to do, right, going and getting a blood, their blood drawn, your blood drawn or um, even taking a urine, um, getting a urine sample taken, all that stuff can just be somewhat of a hassle for people to do. Some of them don't show a complete pattern for cortisol. It just gives you kind of what cortisol is at, at one particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them don't show metabolites of cortisol, uh, which can also be helpful in determining what stage people are in. So thankfully, there's been a new technology that's been developed that uses dried urine samples. And this combines 
all the benefits of those three tests into one particular test. And the company that I used it for this test is called Precision Analytical, and the most common test that I use there is called the Dutch Complete. So Dutch has nothing to do with um, the country. Are you being Dutch? It's, it's a uh, dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones. So that's what the Dutch um, stands for. And this Complete is just looking at not only uh, adrenal hormones like we're talking about today, but it, it shows a lot more things. It's going to look at sex hormones. It's going to look at melatonin. It's going to look at some other nutrient deficiencies and stuff like that. So that's why it's uh, a huge test that I use um, with my practice. So I'm sure we'll talk about it more in future episodes. Is it so um, does it give you an idea of different levels over time? Like, do you submit multiple samples? Yeah. Or? Yep. Okay. So how this test actually works is you take four samples. So you take two on one day. Um, you take it at dinner time. You take it um, before you go to bed. And then you're supposed to take it when you wake up and then uh, at some time mid-morning. So that's going to get you kind of the 24-hour or uh, we mentioned the circadian rhythm the last in our last episode of where cortisol should be at in a 24-hour period. It's going to show you where it actually is at um, based off of, uh, of this, this dry urine sample. And, you know, that's probably a little more than we, we need to get into as far as why urine works. Um, but they found when they've tested it against saliva, against serum, against even the, the regular 24-hour urine, that it not only correlates with those things, but it also, again, brings all the benefits of those things together. So that, And you do it at home. This is something that you do. You That's take nice. a kit, you yeah. do it at home, so it's not a hassle to have to go to a lab or sure. anything like that. You send it in, and then they send um, the results. And then once we get those results back, we can put together that with the assessment form that we had, now your list of symptoms, mm -hmm. and we get a very good idea of where you're at on this HPA axis dysfunction and figure out how to get you functioning well. Yeah. So that is the goal. So that's the first step that we take is, is finding it. The next step, um, which really could be started even before we have any testing done, but for sure after the testing, and that's addressing the primary issue uh, or issues that are contributing to you having HPA axis dysfunction. So I'm just going to list off kind of the most common um, issues that lead to HPA axis dysfunction. Now, we already talked about this a little bit when we talked about stressors, right? We talked about emotional and chemical and physical stressors. But these are kind of the, the ones that are the bigger deals as far as what's happening internally. Like last week, you mentioned inflammation. Um, these are kind of similar to that. What's happening inside the body that potentially is leading to the HPA axis dysfunction? So those things are blood sugar imbalances, gut infections, food intolerances, chronic viruses, environmental toxins, and then autoimmunity. Now, most of these um, you probably um, picked up on also need to be identified through testing. So mm -hmm. you can see how it gets complicated and how there's a lot of work to do kind of on the front end of, of helping people deal with these HPA axis dysfunctions. But once we've found them, um, the, the main one, or usually, again, there's a combination of these things happening, we can start to deal with these things with the result being once we've, again, removed this particular interference, now the adrenals, the HPA axis starts to function normally. The adrenals start to function normally. That connection between the brain and the adrenals starts to improve over time. So let's just walk through uh, each of these. If it's blood sugar, then we primarily have to change your diet up, right? Blood sugar dysregulation comes from typically people eating high sugar, high carbohydrate foods, and then they may go extended periods of time without eating. And then their next meal is high sugar, high carbohydrate food. So they have these spikes in their, in their blood sugar, 
And then as they're not eating, it starts to react and go very low. And then the body brings it back up. Over time, if you do that long enough, that's a stress to the body that activates the cortisol levels increasing, and you're going to have HPA axis dysfunction. So we have to figure out what's going on with the diet to address that. So just keep it simple. We look at what you're eating, try to lower the, the, the carbohydrate intake or especially the sugar intake. But then we also look at food timing or when you're eating. If you're eating, if you're grazing all day long, or if you're doing like what I said, you are having extended periods where you're not eating, but when you're eating, you're only eating high carbohydrate or high sugar foods, then you're going to have this blood sugar dysregulation. So we try to clean up what you're eating, primarily real food, primarily high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate food. And then we try to get you some um, good food timing principles as far as having extended periods of time where you don't have to have high blood sugar because you're you're not putting a lot of um, blood sugar stimulating foods in your body. You wouldn't be putting anything in your body when you're in this fasting period. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the basics of dealing with, with blood sugar. There are some nutraceuticals that can be helpful, specifically called something called berberine. So any products with berberine in it can be helpful for just helping you regulate um, blood sugar in addition to, uh, of course, doing something with your diet. If you weren't doing something with your diet and taking burger, berberine, you're not going to get any benefits of it. So this okay. can just kind of be supplemental to what you're doing with your diet. If it's gut infections, um, then, and that can be bacterial, yeast, parasite, any sort of pathogen. Um, more than likely, when it gets to that point, we have to do some type of a treatment. So you can do antibiotics or antiparasitics, those type of things. Um, there's there's um, antifungal medications and things like that. I, of course, not being a medical doctor, don't use any of that stuff. What I typically try to use is antimicrobial herbs. So I'll use blends of herbs to try to bring down um, the, the load of these pathogens that are in your gut. Um, so there's a whole process that you go through where you're treating it up front. And then what you do is once you've treated, kind of brought the, the bacterial load or the yeast load down, then you have to just go through a typical uh, gut healing approach. So there's what most people know as the 4R approach or the 5R approach, where you're kind of, again, you're removing with the, the antimicrobials. You're restoring uh, proper digestion, like with whether that's stomach acid that's needed or digestive enzymes that are needed. Some people need um, probiotics that would be repopulating um, their, their gut. All of this stuff is just to try to restore a healthy environment in the gut where when you have these pathogens, these gut infections, you have a very unhealthy environment. We're trying to eliminate those pathogens, but then we're trying to restore the healthy environment of the gut so that those pathogens don't grow back. And then you're also trying to bring down any sort of inflammation that's in the gut. So along with treating those things and then adding, restoring a lot of that, repopulating the, the good bacteria, you're also making sure that your diet is, is very anti-inflammatory real food diet. You're not throwing in processed foods, again, high sugar foods, things that the bacteria and the yeast love to feed on. We're is trying to minimize all those things. Is this the same? I think a lot of people have probably heard of leaky gut. Are we talking about the same thing with gut infections? Uh, not necessarily. So uh, that would be another gut problem, mm -hmm. but that probably goes along with it. If you have a gut infection, there's going to be so much inflammation in there and inflammation typically is what leads to leaky gut. And then leaky gut leads to inflammation, one of those vicious sure. cycles that we always talk about. Uh -huh. But yeah, leaky gut could be part of the um, restoring the, the overall healthy environment of the gut. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit in this next one. So the next one is food intolerances. Mm. 
so this is you know gluten is a big food intolerance dairy can be a food intolerance all of these things are, are big food intolerances so what we have to do there is we we not only have to identify what the food intolerance is minimize it or for some people have to completely eliminate this food that they're intolerant to but then we have to follow that up with improving what's what's called oral tolerance so food intolerance means that you're intolerant to the food so we want to build up your tolerance to overall overall to to foods and the best way to do that so basically what's happening is your immune system's reacting to too many foods your immune system really shouldn't react to any foods it should be reacting to pathogens but it's kind of sees these things as foreign and starts to attack them mm. so we want to try to downregulate your immune system make it less kind of emergency reactive and the best way to do that is to eat a wide variety of plant foods so foods that you don't even you've probably never eaten you know mm -hmm. you go to the um, health food store like a natural grocers around here you see all those vegetables and stuff that are laid up there and you've probably eaten like three or four of them in your life right, right. so how you improve overall variety is you go after foods that you don't typically eat because that's going to invite bacteria of a wide variety of bacteria in your gut so we want diversity of bacteria in our gut, good bacteria. And that's what helps with the, the oral tolerance. And in addition to that, things like um, vitamin A and vitamin D, short-chain fatty acids, which you can take in supplement form or you get through eating things like uh, clarified butter or what's called ghee. Mm -hmm. um, and then glutathione, which is just a master antioxidant that's in our body. Those Typically, those four things help with the oral tolerance because they're down-regulating that kind of emergency response of your immune system. So that's going to help your immune system calm down overall while you're improving the gut bacteria. That's how you improve your oral tolerance overall. And that's a huge deal because people are, are it's pretty popular now to say, oh, I'm, I'm intolerant to gluten mm -hmm. or I'm intolerant to dairy. And then you just stay away from those things. You're intolerant to those things because you have a lack of oral tolerance or you have leaky gut. So instead of just avoiding those things, you want to improve the health of your gut, make it less leaky, right? Heal it up. Mm -hmm. And you also want to downregulate your immune system so your immune system isn't always reactive to these things. So I could go down a rabbit hole. I there, was going to say that sounds should really interesting. <laughs> 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 probably shouldn't do that. Okay. So next thing is chronic viruses. Now this is a, a pretty big pretty difficult to deal with. Um, but the most helpful thing here is improving the body's immune function. Um, basically these viruses, and these are things like Epstein-Barr, which is where mono comes from. Another one's called cytomegalovirus. Herpes virus is another one. These viruses can get in us and they just lie dormant, but over time they can just increase their viral load increases. So they're not so much like the COVID virus that's happening right now where you get it, your body finds it, attacks it, and then most people just get rid of it and they don't they don't have any problems. There are some people that it's sticking around and, and they call them COVID long haulers. Mm. Um, but with these viruses, they're chronic. So if your immune system is always detecting these viruses and trying to kill them, then the immune system is kind of low level, always on, and it never calms down. It never shuts down. And then because it's worried about this virus, then you might get infected with bacteria or you might get um, even just normal bacteria might overgrow or yeast might overgrow, parasites, all the things that we talked about with gut infections. Because your immune system is so worried about this virus that's there, it doesn't start to deal with all these other things. And then you can, think, you can throw environmental toxins in there too that immune system or cancer cells even 
So all these other things that your immune system is supposed to deal with, it doesn't because it has this chronic virus that it's always worried about. So we have to identify the virus, but then also improve your immune system so that it can start to get rid of this virus a lot more. There's not, I mean, there are some kind of antiviral things that you can do, but um, you've probably noticed that if you've ever had a virus, you go to your doctor, they're always like, well, it's a virus, not much we can do because there's not like antiviral um, medications like there are antibiotic medications, right? Mm -hmm. So viruses can be a little tough to deal with, mm -hmm. but they are a huge deal with this HPA axis dysfunction. So trying to improve the immune system over time is a, is a, is really the, the most important thing that we can actually do. Environmental toxins is the next one. Um, so what we have to do there is we have to first improve the body's detox pathways. We have to get the person's body upregulating um, the detox pathways, which you can do this with things like infrared sauna or just a regular sauna, even hot tubs, you know, spending time in, in hot water can do this. Exercise, of course, um, something called coffee enemas, which mm -hmm. is always some everybody's super interested in that when i recommend that <laughs> i get to drink coffee <laughs> yeah you you'd put coffee in the other end with the coffee enemas oh. so that's what people that doesn't are <laughs> sound fun <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about what an enema is sure <laughs> so we also do some things called binders so we we have to bind up the toxins these are things like bentonite clay charcoals different things like that so you have to upregulate detox systems you have to grab a hold of these toxins and then you have to stimulate these toxins being eliminated from the body. So that, again, very complicated that can get to deal with this. Um, these are the people that they're, if this is the main thing that's stimulating the HPA axis of function, then it's kind of a long-term thing that they're dealing with, depending on what toxin it is. So if it's like a, a biotoxin, like a mold or a lime or something like that, that's going to be a very long time for us to get rid of those things. So unfortunately, that whole time, they might be dealing with some form of HPA axis dysfunction. Mm. But... Again, we can identify what it is, try to find that interference, remove it. Over time, the body will will start to, to heal and function the way that it's supposed to. So there's always hope there. Yeah. Um, and then autoimmunity uh, is the last one that I think I had on that list. Um, we've talked, you know, a lot, a lot about autoimmunity. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say a lot, a little bit about autoimmunity on this podcast. But basically, we have to, ma <coughs> excuse me, manage the autoimmunity. So the autoimmunity... Uh, that of any autoimmunity, the symptoms are going to be at their worst typically when the antibody count is high. So we have to try to r calm down the antibody count. If we can calm down the antibody count typically by just being anti-inflammatory, then we can calm down the autoimmunity symptoms. And if the autoimmunity symptoms are calmed down, then that's what's going to allow the HPA axis dysfunction to improve because it's the autoimmunity inflammation that's happening that's stimulating the cortisol levels to be high. If we can calm that down, then the cortisol levels will respond accordingly and come down on their own. Any questions on any of that before I... I guess just... So the first step is identifying that it even is an HPA axis problem. And then yep. once you know that, then you have to figure out which of these... Five, was it five things that you just listed that we just uh, went through? Six or seven, oh, okay. I think. Sorry. Um, you have to figure out which of those it actually is. So is that, again, figured out just based on the symptoms that this person is having? Like if they're having... Of which one it is? Yeah. Like if they're having digestive issues as well, that would lead you to think it might be gut-related yeah. or... Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of putting together the whole picture. That's you know that's the importance of the consultation. Kind of looking at a person's history to see, oh, you probably have signs of gut infections, or you probably have signs of a chronic virus. Mm. And then again, there's more testing that can be done. Just looking to see where a person's immune system's at on, on what's called a CBC, uh, a complete blood count, or even specific looking at antibody levels of, of viruses. We could do a stool sample to look to see if they do have any gut infections. So there's ways of finding all of these things. Um, and this is such a big deal, right? It's such a problem for people that, you know, it is worth kind of diving in, seeing exactly what is going on so that we can, you know, craft a plan to make sure that they're able to get better. Mm-hmm. And then the treatment, you know, prescription or I don't know what the word for it would be that once you identify each of these is specific to each one, but also you're going to still recommend the same lifestyle changes and yeah. things that we always yep. talk about. Yeah. Yeah, so and that's what I was going to get into here next. So, so those are the specifics of dealing with, you know, the most common reasons why somebody has HPA access dysfunction. But beyond that, and again, if it's gut infections, we have to deal with those. If it's it's chronic viruses, we have to deal with those. But we're always going to have to get back to living the lifestyle that doesn't contribute to high levels of physical, chemical, or, or emotional stressors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the two big ones that I see uh, with people, at least that I work with, is no matter what stage of dysfunction that they're in is they have to be sleeping well mm. and they have to be proactive about fighting against emotional stressful environments, emotionally stressful environments. So they have to have scheduled t- quiet times. They have to have days of rest. Yeah. They have to have times where they're recreating, doing things that are fun and they enjoy. They have to have a hobby that they're frequently engaged in. All of these things are kind of proactively fighting against mental, emotional stress even relational stress. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, we can find it, an infection and treat it. We can find your food intolerance and avoid that food, right? We can find a virus and bring that viral load down. But if you're always in environments where you're stressed out all the time and you're never doing anything to proactively fight against that, then it really doesn't matter that we've got rid of that because you're always going to be stimulating cortisol levels in this other area, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you're not sleeping, then you could be doing everything else well, and your body just end up never heals because you never get into, you know, you don't have a quantity of sleep or you don't have quality sleep at all. Mm. So, yeah, those are the kind of the two big things that I, I try to focus on if we identify any level of HP axis um, dysfunction is making sure we're sleeping well, making sure we are f- proactively fighting back against any sort of emotionally, mentally stressful environments Mm -hmm. and then beyond that i mean the last thing that we could talk about is there are some things that you can do like as far as supportive supplements um probably the the main one that i use um to help cortisol levels is something called adaptogenic herbs so the adaptogenic herbs are things like ashwagandha holy basil rhodiola maca all these things that maybe you've heard people talk about before Mm -hmm. but basically to keep it simple what these things do is they Some of them help you stimulate cortisol levels if you need it. Some of them calm down cortisol levels if you need it. So they try to adapt, help your body adapt to the stressful environments that you're in. So while we're trying to get rid of the gut infection, while we're trying to help you be proactive with um, emotionally, emotional health, and while we're trying to get you to sleep well, sometimes we have to support you with these adaptogenic herbs to help your body respond accordingly to the stressful environments that you're actually in. So that's more of a kind of relieve suffering part of what we do Uh while we're trying to deal with these underlying causes. Yeah. Um, We don't want you to have to take adaptogenic herbs your whole life. Um, We want you to be able to 
not have to be suffering anymore so you don't have to do something that's helping you relieve the suffering Mm -hmm. yeah but that's kind of the full full picture basically we have to find it we have to confirm it with testing we have to figure out what is the main thing contributing to it and deal with that particular thing and then we have to get back to lifestyle we have to make sure you're eating well and and exercising and, and staying away from stressful environments as much as possible sleeping well staying away from toxins and then we can support you with some these adaptogenic herbs is typically the approach. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, if anyone who is listening to this feels like they might be dealing with um, HPA axis dysfunction, definitely reach out. We can do, if you are local here to the Quad Cities, we would want to meet with you in person or Dr. Alex would want to meet with you and do a consultation, but we can also do virtual consultations as well. So please reach out and know that there is help and there is hope. And definitely, if you know of someone else who might be struggling with this, um, go ahead and share our podcast series with them. We hope that you found this to be a blessing, and we will talk to you next time.